My name is Greg Kodrowski, and this is my podcast, Theology 101. I like to study the Bible, and I don't think the Bible is really that difficult to understand. For the most part, it's really pretty simple, and simple is better. So if you're like me, and you want to know more about the Bible, or if you just want to hear more about the Bible, stick around. And if you want to know more about me or check out my pedigree, Google me or visit my website, theology101.net. Well, Merry Christmas. Now, I had a whole bunch of Christmas jokes in mind that uh, maybe are appropriate, maybe aren't appropriate. So I think we'll just forego the jokes and uh, give a quick introduction here to this special Christmas podcast. Welcome to my Theology 101 special Christmas podcast. Isn't that special? It's Christmas. And um, I put this uh, put this message together for, for some friends of mine in Costa Rica. They wanted to invite me onto their podcast and explain why I'm, I always say that, Chris, that Christ wasn't wasn't born on uh, December 25th, and so I started putting this study together, and it kind of got a little bigger than I thought. That's why it's in three parts, um, and I did it all in Spanish. Like I say, you know, most of my Bible studies are done in Spanish, and then I'm going to try and translate it on the fly here for for my buddies in English. So um, if I kind of pause a little bit here and there, it's because I've got the gears working in my brain trying to look at English notes and remember what the are in or Spanish notes and remember what the words are in English. But here's the question we want to ask ourselves. You know, was was Christ born on December 25th? Does it matter? Um, you know, I think for the longest time, uh, what did we say? We've always said, you know, it's uh it's Saturnalia, you know, it's uh to December 25th is like the celebration of the birth of the sun god or something, you know, crazy and weird like that, some pagan tradition that came into uh Christendom through the Roman Catholic Church and and of course, there's a there's a lot that could be said about that, and there's a lot of truth in that. Um, but what I, I'd like to do here is um, kind of start with what the Bible says, and and then move on to how did this thing get so messed up with uh, December 25th and the celebration of Jesus' birthday. You know, seriously, we we basically when you take the the biblical evidence, and we'll look at it here in in detail in, uh, in a bit. When you take the biblical evidence and you take a look at it, um, you really come up with two options, and they're six months apart, and you'll see why they're, why they're six months apart. You find that there's a, an option or a possibility that Jesus was born in the springtime around the Passover, and then there's an option or a possibility that Jesus was born in the fall around the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. And, and with those two, um, those two possibilities is how do you come up with December 25th being the birth of Christ it's it, again it goes back to uh, I think what the enemy has done you know our enemy the devil Satan Leviathan the serpent uh, in trying to to twist and rewrite history um, so often you know just to blind the minds of those who who have not uh, have not Christ so we're going to take some time. I want to look at this. What does the Bible say about uh, about Christ and when he was born? What does it say? How can we work that out? And uh, there's going to be one verse we come back to, and I think there is one verse that's really, really kind of neat um, with within the context of this uh, birth of Christ, and it's uh, John 1.14. So John 1.14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Right there, we have... Uh, kind of the launching pad, the springboard for the theological evidence that we're going to, to take a look at in detail here uh, here later 
probably in the second podcast. Most of it's going to come in the second podcast. This one, we're going to take an introduction and start working out some background information, working out uh, some ground rules and, and kind of laying a foundation of context of what we're going to look at later. But John 1.14, when it says that the Word was made flesh and then dwelt among us, well, the Word was made flesh. When? You know, the Word was made flesh when Mary conceived by the Holy Ghost. And so right there you have a reference to uh, the conception, the miraculous conception uh, with Mary, and it says the Word was made flesh, and then he said, and then it says he and dwelt among us. So the Word was made flesh, and then the Word dwelt among us, and, the, and he dwelt among us when he was born. And so with, with those two phrases, you know, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, we have basically... Um, the two points of reference or the, the, uh, the two historical events uh, surrounding the, the events that we're looking at, Christmas, you know, birth of Christ. So when was he conceived? When was he born? And why do we have this celebration on, on December 25th? There's some, there's some good reasons for that. And what I hope to do is, uh, is what the Bible says in Isaiah 8, verse 20. Um, you know, how can we as Christians, as Bible believers, what are we supposed to do with, with all of this, this, this extra packaging that comes along with Christmas? And, and obviously, in the Western culture, we have, we have totally perverted uh, even the, uh, the celebration of the birth of Christ. We don't want to call it Christmas anymore. It's, you know, happy holidays, and, and basically it's just give me stuff. And so we've taken the celebration of uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've twisted it, and we've perverted it to the point where it's basically um, some ridiculous celebration of self-satisfaction and consumerism and materialism, and, and basically it's just maximalism. Have you heard of the minimalists? Well, we are maximalists when it comes to Christmas. And so uh, how can we figure this stuff out? With all of the packaging, you know, with all of the baggage that comes along with uh, December 25th and Christmas, happy holidays today, what are we supposed to do? And I think we find the answer in Isaiah 8, verse 20. It says, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So we're going to go to the Bible. Okay, so what does the Bible have to say about the birth of Jesus Christ. And um, I think I can say, just, just to start, like I, like I mentioned before, the Bible is very, very clear. If you don't want to point at one day or one date or even one week or a month, if you don't like that um, and say, you know, that's when Christ was born, if you don't want to do that, that's, that's fine. But I can say, with the utmost biblical authority, Jesus Christ did, he was not born in December. There, he was not born in the middle of winter. He was either born in the springtime or he was born on the fall. That's it. Um, and you've got those two options, and basically uh, you have a springtime birth option. It's a possibility that Jesus Christ was born during the Passover time. And then you have another second option uh, where he was born in the fall during the uh, the um, um, Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, Feast of Tabernacles. There was one of those uh, pregnant pauses where I was trying to, to get the word in English out of my head. So bear with me. I think this, stu this study is very interesting. I think you'll find it interesting if you want to stick with it. And uh, if you want my notes, I'll have, some, I'll have some links to my notes. All my notes are in Spanish. You want to copy them and then paste them into to Google Translate, you're more than welcome to. I've got a couple of um, charts. Uh, they're, they're tables, basically, that I made in a word processor to, to help us to uh, you know, look through and, and see visually 
um, the the Jewish months and how they kind of line up with the uh, with the Gentile months, our months, and where we can place the the conception of Christ and then his birth and all of that. So we're going to find the majority of our evidence where we are going to start. We're going to find it in the book of Luke in the first two chapters. Okay, Luke chapter one that talks about the uh, conception and the birth of. Uh, John the Baptist, and then, of course, the first seven verses, I think, seven, eight, nine verses in chapter two, where we see the birth of Jesus Christ, and then then the angels uh, appear to the shepherds and announce the birth of Christ, and they come and visit him as he's a babe in the manger. And so basically, we've got Luke chapter one and Luke chapter two. That should not surprise us a bit, because if you look at Luke chapter one, those first four verses of introduction that Luke gives to his gospel, it says in verse three, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. And uh, what he did, uh, Luke, is he investigated these things. He got eyewitness testimony. He went around, he talked to people, and he put it in order for us. And so um, what we see here in the book of Luke is an accurate account of the conception and birth of not only Jesus Christ, but also of John the Baptist. And so before we start digging into to what I'm, I'm going to call a, uh, an introduction to the study, because like I said, we want to grab some background and some contextual information so that we can kind of get our head around what we're going to be looking at. But here's, here's, here's what's going on. In, in Luke chapter 1, Elizabeth, uh, of course, the, the wife of Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest, and Elizabeth, they are the parents of John the Baptist. And Elizabeth, the, the, the mother of John the Baptist, she conceives first, and then six months after her, Maria conceives. So if you look at Luke one twenty four, it says, And after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, thus, thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. So Elizabeth, she's advanced in years, she's an older lady, and Zacharias come home, comes home from working in the temple, and she conceives, John the Baptist conceived five months. It says she hid herself five months, and then, uh, verse 26 says, and in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God, unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came into her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, uh, highly favored. the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among the women. And he goes on to announce to, uh, to, to Mary the conception of Jesus Christ. So you have five months of seclusion uh, where Elizabeth hides herself away after her conception for five months, and then in that sixth month you have the announcement uh, by Gabriel to, to Mary that she is going to conceive by the Holy Ghost, conceive the Messiah. And so then after six months, Mary conceives. And so Mary, human mother of Jesus, obviously, she is she she conceives after six months, six months after Elizabeth. And so that's the obvious uh, conclusion is that Jesus was born six months after John. So John is born six months later, Christ is born. So uh, what what this does for us is if we if we can date or if we can pinpoint the general time frame of when, uh, John the Baptist was conceived. Then we know Jesus Christ was conceived six months after him. And so once we know when Jesus was conceived, six months after the conception of John the Baptist, all we have to do is count months. You know, nine months and we've got the birth of Jesus Christ. So most of our 
Bible study and comparing scripture with scripture, pulling in some uh, historical context. We're going to look. We're going to work with some 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 things out of history. Basically, the, the Jewish calendar is going to be one of the big things we work with. I've got some quotes here from uh, Josephus, just to kind of bring in some some ideas of of what people thought uh, back in the in the first century. And we're going to look at the biblical evidence and then the this historical evidence to get a general idea of when John conceived. And we're going to see that there's basically two options, okay, two options, um, based on this uh, ministry of his father up in <clears throat> up in uh, in Jerusalem at the temple. So, with that in mind, that's that's going to be our general. Um, that's going to be the general way we're going to try and approach this problem. When was Jesus born? What God has given us in Scripture and in history, in theology and the Bible, those are the three kind of types of evidence we're going to look at. We're going to look at the biblical evidence, which is basically what the Scripture says uh, in the verses we're going, to, we're going to analyze. We're going to look at some historical evidence based on the Jewish months and, and some other elements, uh, quotes from other authors like, um, like uh, Josephus. And then, lastly, we're gonna we're gonna add on to that what I call theological evidence. And what I mean by theological evidence is we're gonna take a look at some of the events that surround the birth and conception of Jesus Christ, and we're gonna see some theological significance in some of those uh, some of those dates. And we're gonna see that there is a lack of theological emphasis in in some of those dates. And so we're gonna take all of that evidence and we're gonna weigh it out. And I think that you will probably agree with me that there is a there's there's some serious weight to one of the possibilities of the birth of Jesus Christ, and it's the fall, the fall birth during the the uh, Feast of Tabernacles, rather than the spring birth uh, during the the Feast of Passover. So where do we start? How do we start piecing this stuff together? Well, we we start with Zechariah. Zechariah, um, John the Baptist's father, he was a priest. Now, I want you to read with me two verses, Luke 1.5 and Luke 1.8. That's our starting point, okay? Because he starts, uh, Luke starts after the first four verses of introduction. He gives us kind of an idea of, you know, here's, here's my, my gospel, here's what I did. I investigated these things, did my research, and, and put them in order, and, and away we go. And he starts in verse 5 saying, there, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah. He's John the Baptist's father. Now, it says of Zechariah that Zechariah was of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And you see the same thing in verse 8. It came to pass that while he, Zechariah, executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course. So, the first thing we see in verse 5 is that Zacharias is of the course of Abiah. So the Bible's very specific, telling us that Zechariah is of the course of Abiah. And then it tells us in verse 8 that his service that we're reading about, when the, when the angel appears to him and he, he's stricken dumb and can't speak and all of that, that happens while he is serving God in the order of his course. So it's not some extra work that he's doing. It's not an extra time. It's not you know him covering for somebody else or overtime or anything like that. He is serving within the context of his priestly course. Okay, and so with that, if we can find out what this course is and when 
um, Zachariah's course of Abaya was actually supposed to be serving, well, then we can we can not not necessarily so much nail down a date, but we can get a rough general time frame of when John the Baptist was conceived. So in order to understand the classes of, uh, of the priests, we have to go back to First Chronicles. So if you go back to First Chronicles, specifically the chapters 23 and 24, we're going to be looking at a couple of other um, passages in Chronicles, chapter 9, chapter 27. But in chapters 23 and 24 is where we see the bulk of what we need to understand to figure out what is this course of Abiah. Um, that Zechariah belonged to, and if he is serving in the course of, uh, in the in the order of his course, well, what does that mean for us? What does that mean? In First Chronicles twenty three and twenty four, David is dividing up the Levites and the priests. He's dividing them up in groups, and basically, what you see is chapter twenty three is the division of the Levites. Chapter twenty four is the division of of the uh, the priests. So when David was old, he had already he's already put Solomon, um, his son, on the throne. Solomon is going to reign in his place. You know the story that David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. And God said, no, you're not going to build it. You're a man of blood, but your son can build it, Solomon. So David says, fine, that's great, that's good, because that was about the same time he got the Davidic covenant back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and, and, and God gave him that eternal promise that one of his seed would be uh, would reign over Israel and over the nations, over basically the the, the creation um, from earth and onward uh, forever. And so that obviously uh, finds its fulfillment in the son of David, Jesus Christ. But what David did is he began to prepare for that day to help his son. So he, he amassed a whole bunch of treasure and building materials and got things ready for Solomon. And part of that was this division of Levite's and, and priests. And what he was doing was, as, as Israel was just about to, to move from worshiping, worshiping God within the system of the tabernacle, that, that, that tent made of animal skins and, and different types of, of cloth that was kind of a, a portable or nomadic worship uh, place, that they were going to move into the, the worship in the temple. And the temple was going to be established in Jerusalem, and and they were going to no longer nomadic, no longer needing to tear down the the tabernacle and then move it and then set it back up again. And so there there would be less requirements of the Levites and of the priests. And so David divides them out and says, basically, it's it's we don't need everybody working every day. So David divides them out into groups and has them work according to their turns. And he says in, in 1 Chronicles um, 1 Chronicles 24, 1-3. 1 Chronicles 24, 1. Now these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. And so sons of Aaron, the, the priests. Like I said, chapter 23, Levites, chapter 24, priests. He says, the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, but Nadab and Abihu died before their father and had no children. Therefore, Eleazar and Ithamar executed, executed the priest's office. And it says in verse 3, David distributed them, both Zadok and the, uh, of the sons of Eleazar and Elimelech, the sons of Ithamar, according to their offices in their service. And so what David does is he breaks them up, he distributes them in groups. And he groups them together, and he says they are going to serve 
in their offices in this in this service according to their divisions. Now you see the divisions. Um, he divides them up by lot, and they start in verse seven. Verse seven, First Chronicles twenty four seven. The Bible says, "Now the first lot came forth to Jehoiarib, the second to Jediah, the third to Haram, the fourth to Seorim, the fifth to Malchijah, the sixth to Mijamin." the seventh to Hakaz, the eighth to Abijah. Now, Abijah in verse 10, the eighth course, Abijah is the same course we see over in Luke chapter 1, Abiah. And so in Luke chapter 1, obviously, difference is uh, Greek and Hebrew, like Peter is uh, uh, Peter and... Uh, what is it? Peter in English is uh, Pedro in Spanish. So, you know, you look at Luke chapter 1, and it says that Zechariah was of the course of Abiah. That's Greek. You go back to the Hebrew, First Chronicles 24.10, and you find that the eighth course, the eighth division, was Abijah. That's the same name. This is the course of Abiah. This is the one that um, Zechariah pertained to, the eighth course of Abiah. And so just keep that in mind. You can look at 1 Chronicles 24 and, and, and work all the details out if you want to back there. Basically, if you read through this list, and you can probably see it in your Bible because of the, it's, it's, it's obviously a list of names, you get down to verse 18. Now look at verse 18. After all of these names, it says, the three and twentieth to Deliah, the four and twentieth to Maziah. And so you have 24 divisions of the sons of Aaron. You have 24 courses, you have 24 classes, you have 24 groups, and they take turns in their service in the temple. Okay, so 24. Now, if you think, and we'll, we'll, we'll look at some more details later, if you take 24 priestly classes, they would serve approximately two times a year for the full year. You got 24 times 2, 48, 48 weeks. That's basically a whole year. And what, what, what we're going to see is that Zechariah, according to his course of Abiah, served in the temple in order of his course. He served twice a year, okay? Six months apart. He served in his eighth course, and then he would wait for his next turn which would be, again, six months. So because there were 24 courses, each course, each class, each division would serve twice a year, once every six months. Okay, So this is where we find um, some evidence, um, some historical evidence from Josephus. I know a lot of people, they like, ah, I don't want to hear about Josephus because he's not Bible. It's all just extra biblical. Well, that, that's fine. Well, all I want to do is, is pull out this quote because it, if you've got 24 courses, Who's to say, somebody says, well, you said they served twice a year, once every six months, and so that means they worked, you know, went to the temple and served for a week. Where do you get that? Well, I want to show you where I get that. I'm going to read to you a quote from uh, Josephus, and then I'm going to show you in, in, in First Chronicles why, why I think that, why I think that, um, that they were serving once a week. And the first one is Josephus. What, what do we learn from Josephus? Well, when did this guy live? You know, you think about Josephus, he was born in about 37 A.D., A.D. 37, uh, and then he lived till about the turn of the century, about 100, okay, about 100. So he lived during the life and ministry of the apostles. 
Okay, the life and ministry of the, the Twelve after the ascension of Christ, and then, of course, the ministry of Paul all the way up to and through Paul's death, and then the life and, and possible death by you know old age of John the Apostle, who wrote uh, you know the Revelation in, in about 95 AD. So Joseph, Josephus, he, he lived during that time. Um, he was a, a Jewish historian, and he mentions this. He says in his Jewish Antiquities, that David, here's a quote, David divided them also into courses, and when he had separated the priests from them, he found of the priests 24 courses, and he ordained that one course should minister to God eight days, from Sabbath to Sabbath. And so with that in mind, um, we can see that in the first century, that even among secular people, if you want to call Josephus secular, he was a Jewish historian, but if you want to call him secular, I don't have any problems with that. Uh, it was common knowledge, common enough for him to write in his history books that uh, these 24 courses established by David, these priests, would serve according to their course from Sabbath to Sabbath. So one week of service, one week of service, 24 courses, one week each. That means they serve two weeks out of the year, once every six months. You see the same thing back in First Chronicles chapter 9. Now, obviously, First Chronicles chapter 9 does not deal with the, the priests. First Chronicles chapter 9 deals with Levites, okay? Levites. And I want to look at verses 14 to... 25. Okay, 14 uh, is basically where we get the context, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead a few verses, but it's basically 14 to 25, and it says, and of the Levites, and then it goes on to describe uh, what happens with these Levites. Um, let me see if I can find that here in my English. Hang on, just a second. Let's verse verse 23. Let's just start in verse 23. It says. So they and their children had the oversight of the gates, okay? So what we are looking at are these guys, these these porters, okay? They had charge of the gates, the ports, so they're called porters, these Levites. So they and their children had the oversight of the gates of the house of the Lord, namely the house of the tabernacle by wards. In four quarters were the porters toward the east, west, north, and south. And it says, and their brethren, which were in their villages, were to come after seven days, from time to time with them. And so what you see with these porters, these Levites who had charge of the gates of the, the tabernacle, they were to take turns from time to time, and each turn was seven days long. And so you can see evidence in, in the writings of people like Josephus that, that basically they were the these courses, these divisions of the Levites and the um, and the priests, they, they basically took turns from, from Sabbath to Sabbath, basically one week long, and they were to take turns from time to time, and they replaced each other. One guy would come in, you know, one course would come in, another course would, would, would stay, and then they would, well, they would take turns. So it's, it's 24 classes, these, these, these priests, they would serve twice a year, and it appears from the biblical and historical evidence that we can see, it appears that they would, would serve one week every six months, according to their course, according to their uh, to their group of of priests. And so, when we look at that, we can kind of get an idea of of how this how this works. Because you could start. Let's just 
with we got a couple more things to to put into our context here, but just take a step back and think about this. We've got Zacharias in the course of Abiah, which is the course of Abijah back in in First Chronicles twelve. It's the eighth course. It's number eight. So basically, we just start with week number one, and we go two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's when Zacharias is serving. And then after that is when Elizabeth conceives. Six months after her conception, Mary conceives. So just right now, you can kind of get an idea of how we can solve the puzzle of when Christ was born. We know that Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, was serving according to the course of Abiah, and he is the eighth course of the twenty-four. So he's either serving during the first six months of the year, okay, or he's serving during the second six months of the year. And that's why that's how we get two different um, possibilities for Christ's birth about six months apart. So with the course of Abiah, we need to take into consideration one more thing. And uh, here's here's where we kind of add on the rest of the weeks of the year. Because, you know, if you do math like I do math, it's not very hard. You know, 24 courses of priests times two twice a year gives you 48, but there's 52 weeks in a year. So Deuteronomy 16.16. I'm going to mention this, and then we're going to come back to it later, because it's going to be important for us to establish um, our dates, okay, to establish this general time frame of when Christ was conceived. John the Baptist first, of course, and then Christ, and then the birth of, of John and Jesus. So in Deuteronomy 16, 16, you have the mention of the three great feasts, okay, three of the great feasts. And you know, back in Leviticus chapter 23, that there were seven feasts, okay, I've got, um, you know, you can find charts of the feasts. I think Larkin has a great chart back in his Dispensational Truth book. You can look that up or just Google it. Um, his Leviticus 23 and the great feasts of the Lord. Well, three of the feasts, three of the holy um, celebrations, annual celebrations of Israel, three of them were what I'm going to st- I'm going to call during this study the great feasts. Okay, and I do that because of this verse. It says in Deuteronomy 16:16, 16, 16, three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which He shall choose. Now, obviously, we know He chose Jerusalem. It says, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's the first one. In the Feast of Weeks, that's the second one. We call that Pentecost today. And in the Feast of Tabernacles, that's the third one. And it says, they shall not appear before the Lord empty. So every Jewish male was required three times a year to go up to Jerusalem. First for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, then for the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, and then for the Feast of Tabernacles, three times. The men were required women and children could attend also. It's not like, you know, they had to stay in the house. Anybody could come, but God required the males to be there. Okay, so you have three, three of these these uh, great feasts, okay, these uh, solemn feasts. And so because there were so many people in Jerusalem to worship the Lord in the tabernacle or the temple, all of the priests would work during these three weeks of the great feasts. Okay, so you have three great feasts around the Passover, which is the um, um, Feast of Unleavened Bread, 
then 50 days later in the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, and then during the seventh month for this great Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, so there would be so many people during these three weeks up in Jerusalem that all the priests were required to be there. So you have 48 weeks, basically, with the the 24 courses working twice a year. You've got 48 weeks covered. These three great feasts, 48, you got 49, 50, and 51. You're right at about a solar year, okay? And so when you when you look at it from that perspective, basically you're looking at how these priests would cover the bases cover the requirements of service in their ministry during the entire year. All of the priests would be in Jerusalem to take care of all of the, the, the male Jews and their families if they came during these three great feasts. So these three weeks are extra, okay? In addition to the two weeks that, that every course had to work, all the priests had to be in Jerusalem during these three great feasts to cover the, the need of, uh, of the ministry and the service in the tabernacle and later in the temple, okay? So that's basically how these, these priests took turns during the year, okay, according to their class, and then everyone was there for the, for the great feasts. So, you know, if the fourth class was working one week and then they had a great feast, well, then the fifth class would work the week after the feast, okay? Just that simple. Just we're just trying to keep it simple, okay? So when did these? When did they? When did they start? That's uh, that's going to be another. Um, that's going to be another element. You know, you say, well, you're going. You're telling me that that maybe the first class, okay, the first division of priests started during the first week. How do we? How do we know they did? Well, the Bible doesn't say specifically, but again, if we analyze the biblical evidence, it appears that the first division of priests worked during the first year or the first week of the first month of the year. We see that same pattern in 1 Chronicles 27 with the captains that uh, David establishes. Okay, so we're going to use this as a pattern. Obviously, in chapter 27, we're not talking about the priests, but just look at the pattern that's established. 1 Chronicles 27, 1 and 2, it says, Now the children of Israel, after their number, to wit, the chief fathers and captains of thousands and hundreds, and their officers that served the king in any matter of the courses, which came in and went out month by month throughout all the months of the year, of every course were twenty and four thousand. He says, over the first course, here again we have courses, divisions, okay, of these captains. Over the first course for the first month was Joshabim, the son of Zabdiel, and in his course were twenty and four thousand. And so the first course served during the first month. And so in First Chronicles 27, when David, he makes these, these 12 groups of officials, these captains, every group um, had a month during the year. And so the first group took the first month. And so even though the Bible doesn't say it specifically, I'd like to say it's logical and very probable that the first group of priests, the first class, served during the first week of the month. Each of them serves a week, like the captain served a month. The captain's first group served during the first month. So the priests more than likely started out serving during the first week of the first month. Now, with that information... 
we can determine in general in which during which week Elizabeth conceived John the Baptist. Okay? Because with with just the with just putting this together and counting the weeks with these courses of priests, these groups and divisions of priests, we can come to a very simple and general idea of when Elizabeth conceived John the Baptist. Okay? We don't need to, to start digging into all the details. There are there are so many details involved in this study. Okay? Now I've got a book, I've got several, but one of the better ones, one of the best ones actually is uh, by Floyd Nolan Jones, and it's called Chronology of the Old Testament. If, uh, if you want a starting point for a study like this, or any type of study that has to do with chronologies or, or things of this nature, he's your starting point, because you can take him and look at his footnotes and his bibliography, and then work out from there, pulling in other sources and finding out, well, well, who says this about what, and, and, and how do we get this out of there, and how do we know that the priests were in course? There's a ton of this stuff written about, and here's another thing that we're going to talk about in just a minute, about the Jewish months, that the Jewish months were, were, were lunar months. We work on a solar year. There was about 11 or 17 different calendars that were in use in the known world back in the first century, and so they would take one calendar and translate it over to another calendar and another calendar and another calendar. It was like 11 or 17. I can't remember the number, but it was, it was totally weird and foreign to us today when we work basically off of one calendar for the whole world. And so there's so many details involved in this study or a study like this that the way to approach it is to take the generalizations first. And once you generalize and work out all of the calculations generally, then you can start adding in details as you find necessary. So with just the information that we have about the 24 courses of priests, the 24 divisions or groups of priests that serve twice a year, one week each, in addition to the three great feasts, with that information, we can basically count weeks and find out when Zacharias was serving in the temple according to his group, his turn uh, in his group of Abiah. And then once we know that, then all we have to do is find out, okay, soon after that is when Elizabeth conceived, and then once Elizabeth conceives, we've got six months later, uh, Mary conceives, and then all you do is, is count nine months, and then you have the birth of Jesus. And so, like I said, it's really not that difficult. There's a lot of details that we're going to look at that we could look at. I don't want to do that right now. We'll get into some of them later. Some of them are simply unnecessary. Um, as you begin to look at the generalization, this general study of, of what we have in the, in the course of Abaya, it becomes fairly evident the season in which Christ was born. And so let's let's talk just briefly before we finish up this uh, this this section on on the the background and the context. Let's talk briefly about um, Hebrew months. I want to I want to get into the, the the great feast. I want to add just something, one more thing to it, and then we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. Okay. So when we do this study, the months that we are going to use are going to be Jewish months, Hebrew months. We're going to use the Hebrew calendar. And the Hebrew calendar, like I said, is very different from our current um, Gentile calendar. They don't, go, you know, they don't use January, February, March, and April. They use the uh, months of 
um, Abib and Ivar and uh, Sivan and Tammuz and Ab. I mean, there's 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 a bunch. Um, and so we're going to look at that. Basically, it's 12 months. The Hebrew calendar is 12 months, just like ours is 12 months. However, the Hebrew, the Hebrew calendar starts in the month of the Passover. Okay, now this is established back in Exodus chapter 12, right after God got Israel out of Egypt. You see in Exodus chapter 12, it says, And the Lord spake, in verse 1, unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye all, or speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, and a lamb for a house. And then he goes on and describes the uh, the feast of, of Passover. Okay? And so in the feast of Passover, that month is the first first month for the uh, for the nation of Israel. All right, now that month is called Nisan or Abib, and two names for the same month, all right? The Jewish months, like I said, are lunar months, so they're of 29 or 30 days kind of-ish. But what you find is that we have an overlap. So one Jewish month is going to overlap the last half of one Gentile month and the first half of the following month. For example, just think about the month, the first month in the Jewish calendar, Nisan, Abib, okay? That's the month of the Passover. The Passover is what many call Easter, okay? It's, it's the resurrection week. It's when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the Passover. When do we celebrate the resurrection of Christ? When is Easter? Easter usually falls at the end of March or the beginning of April. That's because Nisan, Abib, the first Hebrew month, is basically the last part of March and the first part of April. And so you'll find that the second month, the Jewish month, Ivar, or Sif, is April, the last half of April and the first part of May. Month number three for the Jews is the last part of May and the first part of June. And so each month, each Jewish month, overlaps the last half of, the, of one month and then the first half of the next month in our calendar. Okay? Now you can find, just Google Jewish months, and you can find a whole bunch of uh, different schematics and illustrations about the Jewish months and how they they mesh with the the Gentile months in our current calendar, and just kind of get a a general idea of the overlap. What we are going to do in our study here is we're going to focus on the Jewish months we're not going to do all of the, the, the translating over into the Gentile months. What we're going to do is we're going to take it and we're going to say, well, this happened in month number one, and then we're going to count six months, and then this happened in month number seven, and then we're going to count nine months, and that takes us over to month number three or four, and, and we're going to work within the Hebrew calendar until we land on a specific event, like the conception of Jesus Christ or his birth. And then once we get a general idea within the Hebrew calendar of when that event happened, then all we have to do is say, okay, what's the corresponding date or what's the corresponding time frame in the Gentile calendar? 
So once we do that, then we get an idea in our context of our calendar of when that event happened. But most of our work, because we're going to be doing it in the Bible, is going to be according to the Hebrew calendar. We're only going to translate it over to the Gentile calendar once we hit one of our key events. Now, I want to talk just a little bit about, um, a little bit more about these, these three um, these three great feasts, okay? I know we touched on this uh, before with, Je- with uh, Deuteronomy 16.16. 16. But I want to get um, I want to get these these great feasts kind of nailed down in a time frame, okay? In a time frame, and here's where here's where the um, the outlines might you might find helpful. Now I'm going to put some links uh, in the description of the podcast if you want to take a look at it's a PDF. You can take a look at it. I've got two different outlines. Okay, they're basically um, schematics of, of, of the dates that we're looking at. And what I've done is I've taken the Hebrew months and I've numbered them in a table in a word processor from the top to the bottom. So I've got 12 boxes, month number one, two, three, four, five, all the way down to 12. And then I've divided the months each month into four weeks. Now, obviously, that's I mean, it's a generalization. There's more than four weeks in a month, okay? A lunar month. You're looking at 29, 30 days, not 28. But just for our purposes here, we're working with generalizations. We're just going to break it down simple and look at four weeks in each month. So each month is numbered one, two, three, and four in its divisions. Each month has four divisions, okay? And that's important because we can start crossing off each week as we get to it to work our way down to the course of Abaya. The a course of Abaya was obviously the, the eighth course, and so we count down weeks. What we need to take into account are these great feasts. Deuteronomy 16.16 16 said that there were three great feasts that we have to take into account during each and every year. First is the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is around the Passover. Then you have the Feast of Weeks, which is the Feast of Pentecost. And then you have the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, so first, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, this, This was celebrated during the third week of the first month. So you have the Passover, which is on the 14th of the first month, second week. And then right after that is this Feast of Unleavened Bread, basically the 15th and the 16th of that month. Okay, so we are going to look at the first month of Nisan, Abib. And on the third month, or on the third week of that first month, we have to basically cross that out because all of the priests would work during that week, the third week of the first month. The second great feast is the the Feast of Weeks, and it's called the Feast of Weeks because the Jews would take from from this first group of feasts, this Feast of of Unleavened Bread, they would count out 49 days, basically seven weeks. And on the 50th day, which is where we get Pentecost, Pente is, is like pentagram for 550, the day of Pentecost. And that day, the day of Pentecost, was just one day, and they would, they would worship that week of that one day, the day of Pentecost. All of the male Jews would, would go up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. Now, kind of as a side note, this is why we see in Acts chapter 2 that there were Jews and proselytes 
from all the nations in Jerusalem during the day of Pentecost. Why is that? Well, it's because they were obedient Jews. They were following the law. They were obeying what God said in Deuteronomy 16, 16, and they were going up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. That's also why we see Paul, in his missionary journeys, so dead set on getting to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. You see him, he says, no, I got to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. I got to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. Why? Because he knew that there would be Jews there from all the nations. What a great opportunity to witness to his countrymen, to get out and go street preaching and evangelizing and win people to Christ like he desired to do, according to uh, Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. And so that's the second big feast, was Pentecost. Pentecost was celebrated on the sixth day of the third month. That means that during that first week of the third month, all of the priests would be, would be working in Jerusalem. Okay, So then the third great feast is a Feast of Tabernacles, and that was uh, a feast of one week. What, we, what, what I really want to kind of prime the pump here is that there's, there's three, three specific feasts that happen in a row around this, this Feast of Tabernacles. It's the seventh month. They're the last. They're the last feasts of the uh, the Jewish year. Okay, because after that they go into to um, winter, and there's no feasts until we come around to the springtime and we find Passover again. And so these are the last feasts of the year. This is the the last big one, and it's a it's a it's a wonderful prophetic picture that we're going to take a look at a little later. First, you have the Feast of Trumpets. Okay, that Feast of Trumpets. Was the was celebrated on the first day of the seventh month, okay, of Tishri. And that first day, Feast of Trumpets, was basically the trumpet call to gather Israel together for the for the feast that, that was to follow. On the tenth day of the seventh month, that second week, during the second week of the second month, or the seventh month, you had the day of atonement. Okay, the day of atonement. And then following that, from the 15th to the 22nd, which is basically the third week in the seventh month, you have the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, so the Feast of Tabernacles followed the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was after this Feast of Trumpets. So you have those three right in succession. You have the Feast of Trumpets, where this great trumpet call calls the Jewish males up to Jerusalem. When they get there, there's this de- the, the Day of, of Atonement, where the, the, the high priest goes into the most holy place once every year, and not without blood, and he, he atones for the sins of the nation, the Day of Atonement. And then right after that, they build their tabernacles, the Jews build their tabernacles, and they stay an entire week in Jerusalem, celebrating with joy and happiness and, and banquets and the whole bit. So it's quite a celebration. Seventh month, Feast of Tabernacles during the third week. Okay, So with those three great feasts, we have basically what we need to find out when it was that Zacharias was working in Luke chapter 1. So Here's here's our here's our summary. Okay, we have two possible dates or two possible time frames for the conception of John the Baptist. 
Why? Because in 1 Chronicles 24, those, those verses 7 to 19, there's 24 classes, groups, divisions of priests, and each division served two times a year. Each time they were there, they served from uh, Sabbath to Sabbath, and so one week, and basically one week every six months. In addition to their two weeks, according to their class, they had to serve during each of the three weeks of the three great feasts. So in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah was serving, um, if he was serving, during the first week of his class. That'll give us one date. In Luke 1, if Zacharias is serving during the second week of his course, during the second six months, the second turn he had that year, that's going to give us another date six months after the first one. And even though the Bible doesn't say it specifically, it's going to be fairly evident which one of these is right. It's, it's, it's like saying, look, we can look at the biblical evidence, the historical evidence, and kind of get to these two rough time frames, you know, six months apart. But once we start looking at the theological evidence, it's going to be very easy. It's very convincing which one of these two possibilities is true. And all we have to do is take a very small step of faith and we got it. So that's kind of what we're going to be doing. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's interesting, okay? And basically, uh, like I said, once we start looking at the theology of, of what's behind these dates and what's all involved and what's going on, I think it's fairly obvious uh, what date it was that Christ was born, and so we can understand when his conception was. That is it for this first lesson. Like I said, um, we're doing some 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 work and trying to get a, a foundation laid historically and, and biblically so that we can take a look at, at, okay, what do we have if we start analyzing uh, Luke chapter 1 in light of of the, the 24 divisions of the priests and, and when all of this stuff happened. So before we end this podcast, I want to encourage you. I know it's in Spanish, but it, it, the numbers are all the same, okay? And it really, really helps if you would download. Uh, I'm going to put the put links in with, with the, the other podcasts. Download the outlines, okay? These charts that I put together of the Hebrew months and when John the Baptist was conceived, and when when Jesus was conceived, and when their birth dates were, I've got two charts. I've got one for the first administration, and I've got one for the second administration. So one of them is the first option or the first possibility. If Zechariah is serving during the first week of his course, during his first six months, that's the first chart. And the second one is his second administration, assuming that, that he's working during the second six months, his second week during the year uh, in Luke chapter 1, so six months apart. So those two files, you'll find them. A chart in Spanish is called Esquema, okay, E-S-Q-U-E-M-A, Esquema. And you'll find that there's one chart for the uh, first administration, which is Primera, okay, like prime, 
primera administration. And then the second one is, of course, segunda administration, segunda, so second, basically. And like I said, it's all in Spanish, but if you want to just take a look and see how it's laid out, get an idea. Sometimes a visual cue is, is easier to understand than somebody kind of talking through the same abstract ideas. So look them over, take a look at it. And uh, if you want to continue with the study, boy, I've got uh, two more. I'm going to take one uh, podcast. It's going to be a little bit longer uh, because we've got a lot of de details to look at at the first administration. That's where we're going to develop all of the, the ideas and all of the meat that goes into this study. And then, of course, in the second administration, it's going to be a little easier because of the, the development of the, the doctrine and the teaching that we had during the first administration. So have some patience if you want to follow along. It's going to be the next podcast. We're going to talk about um, Zechariah's first administration. We're going to take a look at the biblical evidence, historical evidence, and then we're going to take a good, hard, long look at the theological evidence because that's really, really neat. It is theologically aesthetic. It is uh, it's very appealing. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's beautiful what God has done in the Bible to, to show us his, his plan and program for the kingdom and, and for the ages. So thanks for listening. I'll see you in the next podcast. Thanks for spending your time listening to my podcast, Theology 101. Simple is better. And it's just not that difficult to learn the Bible so we can do what it tells us. You can find the rest of my studies in English out on my website, theology101.net. And if you do Spanish, tengo más de 15 años de estudios bíblicos disponibles en mi sitio web, teología101.net. If you'd like to contact me, there's a contact page on my website. You're also more than welcome to visit me any Sunday that you wish. My church information is also out on my website. Remember what Nicholas von Zinzendorf always said, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Learn the Bible, do what it tells you, and come back for more Theology 101.